Do you all remember the book of Matthew? Can, can you find it? Can you find it in your Bibles? It was uh, last year that we were in Matthew. Actually, last decade. And I think it's been about a month, but it's time to get back to Matthew. And we're in chapter 7 this morning. We're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that very famous, most famous of all sermons. And uh, kind of as Jesus now begins to wrap up that sermon and conclude that sermon with some uh, invitational type uh, calls and, and warnings as it goes out there to the multitudes on the hillside. You'll remember that he sat down and the multitudes came around him. First of all, it was his disciples. And then as he spoke, apparently the crowds grew until it was a great number of even uh, non-followers, just the curious, the onlookers, the interested And then so as this sermon comes to a conclusion, really beginning in verse 13 through the end, Jesus begins to shift to an invitational type uh, mindset. I begin with a couple of questions for you this morning. Did you think being a Christian or becoming a Christian was going to be easy? Did you think when you became a Christian you were joining the moral majority I hope not. And I hope not because of these words of Jesus. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Quick prayer. God, this is your word and your people are gathered here before you. We pray your spirit would come and illuminate and unpack and open our eyes to this. Awaken us, alarm us, Lord, awaken especially those who are sleeping in the sleep of sin and spiritual death. Raise them, Lord, to to life today from your word and be glorified in what is said, what is heard, how it's responded to. We depend on you. We look to you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. The big idea this morning, the sermon idea, the the main thing I don't want you to miss is simply this. King Jesus commands everyone to enter the narrow gate to walk the narrow path of rigorous discipleship. This is King Jesus. This is the teaching of the one who has come to his people, presenting himself as their Messiah As their king, these are his dictates, these are his commands and warnings, pleadings and teachings. And in this passage, he commands urgently and persuasively everyone to enter the narrow gate, to walk the narrow path of rigorous discipleship. But the question that the text answers is why? Why follow a narrow path? Why pick the path less popular? Two reasons are given in this text. It's very plain. They're set apart by the little word for or because. You see the text, enter through the narrow gate. That's the big idea. That's the command. Urgently do this. Two reasons. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter it. Number two, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. The two reasons are the wide gate leads to ruin and the narrow gate leads to life. 
It could not be more plain, could it? It could not be more straightforward. Let's unpack these two reasons then this morning. First of all, the wide gate leads to ruin or destruction. This word wide is an interesting word in Greek. It's platea, if I'm saying it right, platea, where we get our word plate and where we get our word plateau. This wide gate there in verse uh, uh, 13, the gate is wide. The gate is a plateau. All right. And then a new word, the way is broad. This word means spacious. So, so you enter it through this wide gate, this abundantly wide gate. And then once you go through that gate, you're on this broad, spacious, roomy path. Plenty of room for everything on this path. You see, it is so spacious. And what Jesus is really talking about by this wide gate and this broad path is a life of ease and comfort. He's talking about a life of no curbing of the flesh. He's talking about a life of no death to self. This is a wide open path where repentance is a foreign concept. This is the wide path. There's plenty of room for every belief. There's plenty of room for every practice. Whatever you want to do, you can do on the wide path because it is so very spacious. Now, considering the context of the book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, and if you've been with us, we've been in it for uh, over a year now, and, and we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks, and this context is Jesus is contrasting a true righteousness, a proven righteousness, a demonstrated righteousness with the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, right? With a righteousness that's only skin deep. That's outward and performance oriented and not from the heart and not based on faith. And that's what he's been dealing with throughout this sermon. And he's calling true disciples to a heart righteousness in various ways. He takes the law of the Old Testament and applies it to the heart, applies it the way God meant it to be applied. And so considering that broad context... We need to answer the question, who does Jesus have in mind here by this wide gate and this broad way? Who is he talking about by the many who enter through it? And it's not what we might initially think. He is not talking about the party crowd. He is not talking about atheists and agnostics, even though, yes, technically they're on the broad way. But that's not the focus he has here. That's not the emphasis. He's not talking about the people who would be categorized today as the not affiliated, right? The nuns, N-O-N-E-S. When you do these religious surveys and you ask people what they believe or what uh, what they associate with, there's a whole realm of people, in fact, 1.1 billion people in the world who call themselves not affiliated with anything. But Jesus is not focused on them here. Considering the context and considering that he's pleading with people to have a righteousness in contrast to the righteousness of the Pharisees, what Jesus is focused on here is the church crowd. He's focused on the synagogue crowd, if you will. He is really honing in here on the scribes and the Pharisees and those who are like them. The people here on the broad path he has in mind are people who embrace and believe in their own righteousness. There are people who are thinking that their own goodness, their deeds, their works, their 
morality is going to be acceptable to a holy God at the end of that path. These are the self-righteous and the self-deluded. That's who is in focus here. Now, I want you to just take a moment and just think of the world now, big picture. Think of the world, big picture. What percentage of the world is religious? Right? What percentage of the world is affiliated with some type of spirituality or some type of creed or religion? And the answer that should be in your head is a very, very big percentage. Now, contrast that to what percentage of the world's population today understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and are disciples of his. We went from a percentage like this to like this, right? We went from many, in fact, the majority to few, in fact, the minority, Even though there are millions of born-again believers in the world today, we believe that there are, certainly. Even though there are millions, compared to the lost, we are relatively few. We are the minority. Always have been and always will be until the kingdom comes. Let's go a little closer into this. That was the big picture. Let's pull up that first slide, guys. And let's peer a little closer into what the world looks like today. What the broad path looks like today. There are 1.8 billion Muslims. You see the numbers there. Hindu and Roman Catholics, 1.1 billion each. Buddhist, folk religion, various religions like... uh, well, there's a long list. They, they, it's hard to begin to categorize them as you get smaller and smaller. But you go down the line there, you see the different categories. You add all of that up, and that's over 5 billion people of our 7 to 8 billion population. I want to make a couple of comments here. Well, one in particular, you see Roman Catholics on there. I believe that there are some true Christians among Roman Catholicism. I don't believe that every single person that calls himself a Catholic is is lost. What I believe and what most Bible-believing people believe, what most people that embrace the gospel and understand the gospel and understand Roman Catholicism believe is that the great, great majority of that 1.1 billion are lost and need to be evangelized. That they do not, they understand sin and they understand the Trinity to some degree, but they do not understand justification by faith alone in Christ alone. They do not understand that God's grace is free from start to last. And that our works play no part whatsoever in saving us uh, before a holy God. So that's why they're on the list there. And I think you, you add all of that up and you come up with over 5 billion people. Okay, you can take that slide down and leave it blank for a moment. It's a wide path. Look at verse 13. The way is spacious that leads to destruction. When I think of that list, a couple of observations come to mind. One is there is an enemy of truth. There is a devil. When we see a list like that, we need to see behind it and through it to say, wow, those are doctrines of demons. There is an enemy that is perverting and twisting truth in this world and leading people to hell, leading people to damnation through primarily false religion. Through false religion. The number of atheists relative to the number of people bound up in a false religion, there's no comparison. 
And of course, atheism is its own false religion. So you see that as you think of these numbers, there is definitely, uh, there's definitely an enemy that is, uh, has people oppressed and bound and captured and deceived in darkness. They are blinded to the light of the gospel. And that is the majority of the world. It is a wide path. It reminds me of I-35 between San Antonio and Dallas. <laughs> it's a wide path and many find it. Many people find their way onto that path. Five, six lanes of traffic constantly from San Antonio to Austin to Georgetown to Dallas. Always under construction, right? Always expanding to make more room for many who want to find that path. It reminds me of the 405 in L.A. if you've ever been on that road. I had to drive that road for a couple of years when I was in seminary. And I went 11 miles in 45 minutes. (laughs) And that was a good day. Six lanes of bumper to bumper, stop and go traffic out of the San Fernando Valley over into Santa Monica there on the 405. There were many who find it. What a picture that is of the world and its lostness headed for uh, destruction. So we start with this over five billion and now we can add to it some other groups. We can add to it professing Christians in what's called mainline denominations. Professing Christians who cannot figure out if sodomy is a sin and whether Jesus was literally raised from the dead and calling themselves Christians don't believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, don't believe in a literal resurrection of Christ, don't believe in a vicarious atoning sacrifice of Christ taking the wrath of God in our place. They don't even know if homosexuality and homosexual marriage is a sin and yet calling themselves Christians. And now the numbers continue to creep up. There's millions that fall into that category worldwide. Let's get a little closer to home. There is a narrow road that few find. There is a broad road that many find. Closer to home, included on the broad road, are those professing Christians who hold to a no repentance, no lordship of Christ, cheap grace gospel. Those Professing Christians who have never actually repented of their sins. They're not on the narrow road of repentance and rigorous discipleship. They're on a broad road of cheap grace. It's the broad road of mental assent to the gospel without surrender of your life to Christ. And there are many on that road, and that's closer to home. That's the Bible Belt. That's that's many in so-called... Southern evangelical Christian churches. It's what I will call country music Christianity. Where they can sing about Jesus and sing about fornication in the same song and act like everything is good with all of it. And there's a lot of that out there. This is the the the, the broad road that thinks it's the narrow road. Because it ascribes to some belief in Christ, some mental ascent, checking the boxes of the facts of the gospel without ever a yielding of your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to show you a slide that I think really illustrates this in a real life example. And this is a slide by Paul Tripp. And I'll read it and you can follow along. 
He says, this is what happens to the teenager who goes through the teen years fairly well under the careful love, instruction, and oversight of Christian parents, only to go off to college and completely forsake his faith. I would suggest that in most cases he has not forsaken his faith. In reality, his faith was the faith of his parents. He simply lived within its limits while he was still at home. When he went away to school and those restraints were removed, his true heart was revealed. He had not internalized the faith. He had not entrusted himself to Christ in a life-transforming way. In my words, he had not entered the narrow gate. College was not the cause of his problem. It was simply the place where his true heart was revealed. It's Paul Tripp from Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. That is a classic and well-known illustration of exactly what I'm talking about. Where the faith is arm's length, it's someone else's faith, it's not your faith. Where the repentance is not real. This is the broad path. This is the crowd Jesus had in mind here. It is the church crowd he is addressing. This is the natural path. This is the easy path where I can have Jesus and my sin. And and feel very comfortable with both, you see. This is what we would call the tolerant path, right? The tolerant path. Oh, who are we to judge? Who are we to question? Come on in. The path is wide. It's spacious. And the majority take this path, but don't you take it. This path is a lie. This path is a trap. This path leads to death. It leads to ruin. It leads to eternal destruction. Where the spiritually dead enter eternal death and eventually end up in the lake of fire, never ever to come out. Because they did not surrender their life to Christ. Salvation happens when we trust in Christ with the whole of our personality and our being. All of us is given over to all of him. And salvation happens simultaneously when we turn from our sin. And this repentance and this faith are the two sides of one coin called conversion. It goes beyond head knowledge. It goes beyond mental assent. It goes beyond I go to church. I've been baptized. My parents' faith. My spouse's faith. It becomes personal and real and you become a broken person inside because the Holy Spirit has convicted you of your deserts of damnation. That no one deserves to go to hell more than you do. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He comes to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And until you've been convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment, there is no way possible you're a Christian. It is impossible to become a Christian on your own. It is impossible for someone else to make you a Christian. You don't morph into being a Christian. You don't ease into being a Christian. You become a Christian when God the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and righteousness and judgment. And this conviction is what leads to repentance, which leads to life. It is a narrow road which we must take. It is a narrow path that we walk. This is not the path of popularity. This is not the path of world acceptance. This is not the path of friends. This is a path that makes enemies. This is the path that makes people hate you. This is a path that makes people stop inviting you places. This is the path where you become ostracized. The student is not greater than the teacher. The servant is not greater than the master. 
The disciple is not greater than the rabbi. This is the narrow path. The big idea this morning is King Jesus commands everyone to enter the narrow gate to walk the narrow path of rigorous discipleship. Reason number two is the narrow gate leads to unending life. Verse 14. The second reason is this way, this path, this road leads to, it has a destination and it is the polar opposite of the other path. Where one was ruined, this is life. Life, life, eternal life, abundant life, glorious life, joyful life, satisfying life, fulfilled life, life eventually in the kingdom with God present, life in his presence where there is no death ever again. Now, this is some interesting words here Jesus uses. He says, first of all, the gate is small in the New American Standard. We could, it's a good translation because it's a different word than the next word. So, so, the, so the gate itself is small, and then the way or the path is narrow. And I want you to look at that word because it's a different word than the word small. It's a narrow road. What it literally means is it's a tight, it's a tight path. This word narrow means pressed in. It means oppressed. It, it means to be confined. A difficult Path is what he's describing. Confined and pressed in. The root word of that word narrow is the word affliction or persecution. What Jesus is saying, verse 14, the gate is small and the way is an afflicted way. It is a persecuted way. It is a narrow way. It is a tight way that leads to life. And so we walk in this narrow, narrow, narrow road, and then one day it just opens up into this wide open life. Wide people, uh, wide path people, wide path people are like water. They find the path of least resistance. This is the only thing I remember from my geology class. <laughs> uh, decades ago. This is why rivers meander. Rivers meander because water seeks the path of least resistance. That's wide path people. Narrow path people are like fish swimming upstream. Why are they swimming upstream? Where are they going? They're going to die. And we are those fish Constantly swimming upstream, not finding the path of least resistance, but swimming upstream until we die. And then life, eternal life, glorious life. The Bible says through many tribulations, same word as narrow here, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many afflictions, through many tight spots, through many narrow passages, we must enter the kingdom of God. The narrow path then is a life of rigorous discipleship, a life of real oppression, frequent affliction, and yet it ends in abundant and glorious and satisfying life. Now I want you to note the irony in this passage. The irony of this passage is astounding. People that go through the wide gate and are on the wide path think it is the spacious, roomy path of freedom. And they think it's going to end well. 
They're not there because they're seeking destruction. They're not there because they think it's going to end in destruction. They think they're right and they think it's going to end well for them. And the path on the surface speaks of something that is a picture of freedom. Freedom to carry whatever you want to carry. Freedom to believe whatever you want to believe. Freedom to move about into whatever areas of sin you want to move about into on this wide path. And yet the end of it is ruin. On the other hand, the narrow path that seems to be a restriction of freedom, that that seems to be a path of, of sorrow and sadness, and who would ever want to choose that path? The irony is it is that narrow path that leads to what we actually want, what we're actually seeking, what we actually desire. I want you to imagine a massive stadium. It's not hard to imagine because they litter our, our landscape around this country. A massive stadium. And inside that stadium is a celebration for the ages. It's the greatest celebration ever because God is there. God himself is front and center in this stadium. Being worshipped, being celebrated, being adored, being gazed upon in this great massive stadium. But it is a strange stadium because it don't it doesn't have multiple entrances. It only has one entrance. It only has one gate. And it's a narrow gate. And that gate is hard to find. And it's even harder to enter once you find it. And that narrow gate has a narrow turnstile. And everybody that wants to go into that massive stadium and that massive celebration has to go in one at a time through that narrow turnstile. Now, have you ever seen anybody trying to carry luggage through a turnstile? It doesn't work. You've got to go through empty-handed. You go through the turnstile with no luggage of your supposed good deeds. That, that, that's your ticket in to the celebration. Oh, I've got my good deeds here. I, I've got my good deeds. Can I get in with these? No, you cannot. They're not getting you in. There's no suitcases of imagined worthiness. Imagined worthiness. Oh, I deserve to be here. I should, I should get an invitation. They'll be missing something if I'm not there. No, you must enter empty-handed through this narrow turnstile. You can't take in any other gods. You can't take in any other gospels. We must come empty-handed. And the way we get in is the ticket called faith in Christ alone. And that ticket's not even in our hand. It's in our heart. Only the Lord can know for sure that it's there. He's got that x-ray vision. He scans the heart. And he allows you in if you've got faith in Christ in your heart. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Say the lyrics of Rock of Ages. We walk through then this narrow gate. This narrow entrance. This turnstile one at a time. And it leads us into and connects us to then a life of rigorous discipleship, a life of following Christ, a life of saying yes to God and no to sin. It leads us into a life of growing obedience. In theological terms, justification leads to what? Sanctification. Always, always, always. 
Does this mean perfection? No. Does this mean we never sin again? No. Does this mean we don't struggle in our sin? No. In fact, the struggle is the evidence that you're on the narrow road. The fight and the grind and the daily reading my Bible, praying to God, calling out for help, dry times, low times, hard times, all of that is part of the narrow path. It's not the life of ease. It's not the life of comfort. It's a life of rigorous discipleship. Now, I want you to please note that you will look in vain for a third gate. You will look in vain for a medium-sized gate, for a third door, for a third option. It doesn't exist. It's binary. There's two options with two destinations. Two gates, one of them to ruin, one of them to life, one to hell, one to heaven, one to death, one to Jesus, one with the majority, one with the minority. One is easy peasy, smoky cheesy. I don't know. It's so easy. And yet it's destructive. And the other is one of rigorous grace, and yet it is rewarding. Rewarding. What if you're here this morning and you're on the broad road? Maybe even in the course of this sermon, God has begun to prick your conscience. And the Holy Spirit is even right now convicting you of sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin, your sin against God for not believing in Christ. Righteousness, only Jesus is righteous and you're not. Judgment, if that doesn't get addressed, that's your destiny. What if the Holy Spirit's convicting you of that right now and you, you, you're finding yourself, you're, you're becoming convinced I'm on the broad road. And you think to yourself, I've really been traveling, traveling along quite nicely with my sin in hand. Nothing's challenged my sin. Nothing's challenged status quo. There, there's no, there's been no circumcision of my heart, no brokenness on the inside to show me that I'm lost and, and I need Jesus Christ. And you think to yourself, you know, really, I've never been squeezed by the narrow truth of a narrow gospel. I'm, I'm open-minded. I, 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 I believe all kinds of different things. A little of this, a little of that. I don't submit my beliefs to anything. I'm, I'm an open-minded person. I don't like narrow-mindedness. Because you've never been squeezed by the narrow truth of a narrow gospel and a narrow way. Where our Savior that we sing about and profess in here said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See, that's the narrow way. One way. All other ways lead to death and destruction. But you're finding yourself on the broad road this morning. And maybe you even think this way. Maybe you think that there is a path for fornicating Christians. There is a path for drunken Christians, homosexual Christians, greedy Christians, lustful Christians, angry Christians, hating Christians. Say, so yeah, 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 you can do, you can be all of that. You can, you can practice those things and, and be a Christian. There's a path for you. The bad news this morning is there isn't. There isn't a path for those. 
The good news this morning is that God allows U-turns. In fact, he commands them. He commands that you get off the broad road and begin to follow the narrow road. I like to use the marriage analogy. In a marriage analogy, it's forsaking all others. You choose one person for life. Christianity is that. Forsaking all others, even myself, even my own righteousness. I unite my soul to Christ. To Christ and Christ alone. Have you done that? Have you forsaken all others and united your soul to Christ? You need to know that God does not allow spiritual polygamy. It's out of bounds. It's off limits. He doesn't allow it. No spiritual polygamist will be in heaven. What do I mean by that? Somebody that's married to a bunch of different belief systems. <laughs> Somebody that takes a little of this, a little of that, tacks Jesus on it. Got all my bases covered. Kind of ecumenical, ec- eclectic. No, no submission to the whole word of God and the whole Christ and the Christian gospel. An easy believism, cheap grace, spiritual polygamy. No, we have to forsake all other hopes and come to the Father through the Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Definite, singular. If you're a fellow Christian here this morning, I want to remind you of something that this text implicitly teaches. It is an evangelistic text. It is an invitational text. But let's remind all the Christians in the room, and there are many, of the implication of this text. We entered a narrow gate. We walk a narrow path. It's going to come with hardness and affliction and tightness and difficulties. But it is the path of life. It's going to look like to the world a restriction of freedom. But we know inside the gospel it is the essence of freedom. Right? Freedom is not doing whatever you want to do. Freedom is being able to do what you ought to do. Freedom is doing, being able to do what you ought to do. That's freedom. Freedom is being able to obey Christ by the power of the Spirit. So, fellow Christian, I'm just here to remind you this morning, you're on a narrow road. It's not going to change until you die. It is a narrow road of denying self. It is a narrow road of taking up your cross to follow Jesus. That's what he said. He said, whoever wants to come after me must deny himself, must take up his cross and follow me. We could say it this way. It's a repentant faith and a believing repentance. I love that. I didn't come up with it. I don't come up with anything. I just, I'm just a messenger. All right. It's a, it's a repentant faith. It's a repentant dependence. It's a repentant trust and a believing repentance. That I know when I turn away from sin, that's the best thing for me because I'm turning to the Lord. I believe, I trust. This narrow path is the path of abundant life, of true freedom, lasting freedom, real freedom. On the path of rigorous discipleship. Let's pray. Great God of heaven. For those of us on this path, we give you all the praise. And all the credit. Text speaks here of finding it. And I think that's an echo of the joy we had. When by your grace we discovered the narrow gate. 
And you gave us eyes to see that it leads to life and a heart to trust. And we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, we acknowledge that sometimes this path is hard. Sometimes our flesh is drawn to leave it. Sometimes in our flesh, Lord, the world looks so inviting. It looks so appealing. It looks so fun and fulfilling and satisfying. And in those moments of weakness, God, we pray you bring us to our senses. We pray that you would open our eyes to the end of the wide path. And we pray that you would grant us fresh repentance to for, to forsake our sin afresh, to confess it anew, to turn again and follow you with renewed faith, and renewed commitment. Father, we pray this morning for those here who are uh, on the broad path, finding it to be quite spacious and roomy. We ask, God, that you would uh, snatch them, uh, grant them a U-turn, grant them an exit to get off of that, to come find the narrow path. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.